You're listening to the Grace Church Podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to bringing you biblical guidance to life's most important issues. We want to thank you for joining us for this week's message. We pray you find strength and encouragement as we learn from God's truth together. For more information, go to visitgracechurch.com. What up, Grace Church? Praying you guys are doing well. Hey, uh, check this out. There, there's this saying. There's this saying. He's, it's attributed to this uh, saint, this French saint named Antoine Exupéry. And, and it goes something like this. It says, if you want to build ship, don't drum up people. Don't drum them up to, to gather wood. Don't, don't drum them up to collect wood. Don't assign them tasks and work, but rather but rather teach them to long, to, to yearn for the vast and endless sea. See, that's what we're going to try to do today. That's what we're going to try to do. We're going to try to scratch, wring out, uncover as much in this text in, in, in the way to see some of his riches, some of his glory, and prayerfully will help us to to long and yearn for the vast, endless God that we, that we love, adore, worship, and serve. See, we've got this tagline for this series in Ephesians called, Life is All About Him. It always has been about Him. It will always be about Him. And maybe, just maybe, if we can get something out of this text, maybe we can, we can actually see this come true in our lives. Because if we can see him, if we can see him for who he really is, then maybe, just just maybe we'll want to run towards him again. And in life, and in the scriptures, and and especially with with one another. So let's pray, and we're going to hop into Ephesians chapter 3 and see what he has. Let's ask him to show us what he wants for us. Let's pray. Jesus, I just pray that that, uh, you really would. Show yourself in these scriptures. Teach us, God. Get us to to see you in a way that we haven't seen before. I pray that we would see a a, a glimpse, a sight of your glory, and then it would lead us to to love you more, to run after you more. Show us, God. What do you want us to see? We love you. Amen. Amen. So we ended off in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12 last week. So let's just, I'm going to read that. It won't be on your screens, but, but, but check this out. It's uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12. It says, in whom, Jesus, we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Verse 13, therefore, therefore, or because we have boldness, because we have access, because we have confidence in faith in Christ through him, because of those things, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulation for you. Don't, don't lose heart. Don't be exasperated. Don't, don't be wearied out or exhausted at my tribulation for you. And then he says, which is your glory? See, according to the time, uh, according to tradition, Paul right here, he, he was writing this letter from prison. At best, he was writing it under, under house arrest. And he's saying like, don't lose heart. 
Don't lose heart for the things that are happening. Don't lose heart at my tribulation and my suffering because they're for the glory of God and they're, meet, they're meant to teach us how to suffer well. So he's saying, don't, don't shy away from the hard stuff. Why? Because it's your glory, because it's for your glory. See, that word glory is, is the Greek word doxa, such a strong word. It's, it's this amazing Greek word that's typically translated glory. And I'm about to throw a lot of words at you right now, okay? So, like, hang with me. But I, I want you to have a better view of doxa, like of glory. And then I'm going to share with you what I, I think Paul is meaning right here, what he's trying to say when he says, which is your glory. So doxa, glory, it, it is like it's the praise, it's the honor, it's the splendor, the brightness, it's the, the glory of the moon and the, the sun and the stars. It's the estimation of someone, it's the judgment or view of someone being in absolute supreme authority. So you're looking at them saying they're magnificent, they're excellent, they're preeminent, their dignity is amazing, their grace and majesty in the kingly majesty that belongs to Jesus and Jesus himself, he is the highest and the most majestic. It has this sense of perfection perfection of the deity of the Messiah. So it's the, the glory of God. And, and then when we read, which is your glory, this is the sense that I think Paul was, was using right here. It's a sense that the word glory means it's a thing or person that belongs to God or belongs to Christ. It's the inward perfection it's the inward perfection that happens when you put your wholehearted trust in Jesus. It's the glorious, it's the glorious, the doxa, uh, the doxa condition that a true Christian will experience at the return of Jesus. Right, so right, right here what he's saying is he's saying your suffering can lead someone to glory. Not, not their personal glory, but, but, but God's glory in someone. And so it's in you. And that, the only place that true doxa comes from is from God. So your glory is you being filled and known by Jesus. A lot of people think uh, that uh, when they hear the word doxa, probably doxology, if you've been in church uh, any amount of time, it's okay if you haven't, but the doxology was written some 300 years ago. I'm not going to sing it for you, but, but, but it says, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above you, heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. See, we praise God. We praise the Father, Jesus, the Spirit, because the glory in us and through us and that is shown to us, that's why we have verse 14. Verse 14, for this reason, for, for the reason of the glory, because of this reason, because the confidence that I can have in Christ, because of that glory, I bow my knee to the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because all, because all the glory in and through and shown to us and that will be shown to us should get us to the point where we say, I will worship 
I will worship. And I will worship with boldness and confidence because Christ knows me. Like Christ knows me and I know him and there is no other being, no other person, no other God, no other apparition that should be bowed down to except for one. And he's the one that names us among him. Verse 15, it says, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. That is why we're called Christians. We're named among him, among Jesus. We're followers of Jesus. That's why we're called Christians. He, he names, his, his uh, uh, mouth will pass our names through it. His lips, his lips will say our names. We will hear him call us into his presence. We'll hear him call us into his presence. And it's not a, a temporal thing. It's not a temporal thing, but it's an, an eternal thing. It's not withering and weak, but, but we receive full acceptance where we are called family. Like where we're called family, and that's what he says right here, from whom the whole family in heaven, in heaven and in earth is named. A family right here, it means a group. But it also means a whole race, nation, kindred, lineage. Notice whole, whole race. Whole race. People think this isn't, this book isn't, isn't relevant, but you, you notice you notice in heaven, right? In heaven, you've got this family, this, this race of followers of Jesus and on earth, and it's like God has said, we are united. We're united with the family of God, and we're, we're on earth, and it should be the same as it is in heaven, as it is on this earth, and it, it carries the idea of bringing what's in heaven down to earth. See, we're unified with one another because we are unified with God, and we are named with Christ, and he deserves worship. And, and then us as the wholehearted church, like the wholehearted church should, should come together, and it should be a glimpse of heaven, right? It should be a, a glimpse of heaven where we look at it, and it's so diverse, and we should be leading in this area of, of unity because we should be able to say, come here, World, like anybody in the world, come here. This is how it should be, where the body of Christ is this amazing diversity, uh, uh, full of different people in different groups and different families and kindred, but then we come under the umbrella of Jesus. We come together because he works in us, and it's because of the work of God's glory in us and us dwelling with God that we can have unity and so that's when we can come together and we can look at all the things that he does in man and in the church where we can say Christ is the one that deserves worship. He deserves worship. He deserves worship. Why does he deserve worship? Because of verse 16. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. He's saying that he would grant you, according to the riches of glory, to be strengthened or to be empowered with might or with force through his spirit. It's not by anything that you did. It's not by your performance, but it's because of him, and it's because of that doxa, that, that glory, 
the Spirit indwells us and gives us might. Might for what? He gives us might and force to, to, to live, to make it through this life. And he puts, us, he puts that power and that might, that empower and strength through the Spirit in our inner man, like in our mind, in our will, our will, in our emotions or our souls. And strength isn't found in self, but it is found in, in him. Like, why do we see the riches of his glory? Why does he strengthen us with might through his spirit? It's because of verse 17 that Christ, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love, that you would be rooted and grounded. It's the, it's the idea it's, it's the idea that we should ask Jesus to come dwell in our hearts. Like he should come dwell in our hearts in, in the center of, of what is physical and spiritual. That's what heart is. And so we, that he would be in our thoughts and our feelings. And it's when he dwells in your heart, you are rooted and you are grounded, right? You are rooted, you're stable, and then you are grounded. You have a firm foundation that you are sitting on, and then he dwells with you, like he is with you. He is there permanently. That's what the word dwell means. It means to house permanently. That is to reside with, to always be present for worship, to always be present for worship, it's that he would be with us for the long haul, like he is with us. That means we can go through pain and anguish and hardship and suffering and in injustice, and we will not be moved. We won't be moved because our affections, like our affections for Christ, because we have affections for him, and, and he has affections or love for us where we are nailed down, where nothing shall move us. See, this is where life really becomes all about him and not about me, mine, and I. See, there's this story in Isaiah chapter 14, and, and there's this, this being, and it's, it's a beautiful being, and it, it sealed up the sum, is what, what, like he was the culmination of creation. And, and so he's walking around, and, and he says these things like this. He says, and notice the one letter. He says, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of congregation. I will ascend. I will be like the most high. Do you know who said these things? Lucifer, like Satan, the, the serpent, the, the devil, Listen, let's not follow his example. Let's not act like him. Let's not speak like him. Let's not be named with him. But how often, like how, how often do we exalt ourselves above God? See, anytime we sin, that's what it's called. It's called idolatry. I just told my son Silas the other day. Uh, he he uh, asked if he could go play with some uh, of our neighbors. They've got four boys, and so they're, they're playing all the time. And I said, not yet. Maybe after lunch. I'll, I'll tell you when you can. And the next thing I knew, he was outside in our backyard, standing on our fence, playing with the other boys. And so I did that, that thing, you know, as fathers do. I knocked on the window, 
I, I didn't have a real mean face, but I knocked on the window and I did the, uh, hey, come here. And he comes in here, you know, he came in the, the, the dining room and he's like, yeah, hey, hey dad, what's up? I was like, hey, what were you doing? He was talking. And I go, how are you talking? And he, has this, he had this new little Nerf gun and he was sort of waving it over the fence and I was like, huh, you know what I call that? And he goes, playing. And I go, what did I say about that? And he said, not to. And I said, do you know what we call that? We call it idolatry. See, we call it idolatry because that what we do is we exalt ourselves above what somebody says. In, in this case, we exalt ourselves above God because we think we know, we think we can control, we think we have the authority. See, this is why we need Christ to dwell with us. We need Christ to dwell with us because we are so prone, we are so prone to, to wonder, but in his graciousness, through his glory, he roots us and he grounds us. That's why Christ works within us. That's your point if you're taking notes. Christ works within us, in our inner man. Right? We need, we need him to dwell and work with us because we constantly, we constantly need to be reminded of the next verse. Listen, we need him to work in our minds, our wills, and emotions. Why? That we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height then verse 19, to know the love, to know the affections of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. It is not just scientific knowledge, right? That's what uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, was what we learned last week, that we can search the unsearchable riches of Jesus. Right, and he, he, I used to think love was like this sort of pity love, like I'm loving you in spite of yourself, but it's this word affection. Like, like we need to know his affections for us so we can have affections for him. See, this is what we need to be grounded in the faith. And then his, his love is incomprehensible. It's incomprehensible because it, it doesn't make sense because he's traded perfection. He, he, he was perfect, so he's, he's perfection, and he traded perfection for imperfection, me. And he traded life for death and love for sin and grace for hate. His love passes. It passes. It transcends. It transcends knowledge to know and love Christ. Like we need to feel this one. We need to feel this one. And, and it, it's hard because it doesn't make sense because it's not an intellectual exercise. Like how do, you, how do you comprehend something that surpasses knowledge? It's through his working. The love of Christ that surpasses knowledge is the love that says, I know you are idolatrous. I know you are idolatrous and I love you anyway. I love you anyway. And that, my friends, that, my friends, should make us, it should help us to repent it should help us because his love should help us to repent because you read things like Romans chapter 8 that says, for I am persuaded. 
that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities or powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor, th- nor uh, um, I'm sorry, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is a cosmic love that is overflowing enough. Nothing can separate us, like nothing. And if that cosmic love is not enough, look at verse 20. This is now to him, now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think. According to the power that works in us, are you the one that is able to do that? Absolutely not. Right? The only reason why you can sit at your house or in a pew wherever you're worshiping is because of him. You can hear because of him. And he can heal a marriage. He can reconcile races. He can help you out of financial ruin for his glory. He can mend relationships. He can conquer sin. He can give you hope. He can embrace you through suffering. He can heal a nation. And he can reconcile white and black tension. He can heal 300 years of injustice. But why not now? Like, why hasn't he? Listen, he has good work for us. But how often do we, do we deny it? How often do we deny it and we become wicked, evil, idolatrous people when the church should be showing his kingdom in all of the earth? See, can God work just as he worked back in John Newton's day? John Newton, right, the, the, the hymn writer, he wrote uh, Amazing Grace, and he wrote this hymn called Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken Of. See, John Newton was actually a captain of a slave ship, and he would pu- procure people to bring over to America to be slaves, And he penned these these amazing hymns like Amazing Grace because what he did was he experienced grace and he experienced forgiveness. And then he later on, right, he he confessed, he repented, he turned from his sin, and then he went on to work with William Wilberforce to, to abolish slavery. Right? We have experienced Christ's love so abundantly. So abundantly that these affections that, that we have and that John Owen literally pinned those things, he, he pinned them out of a, a deep place of receiving grace because he knew the atrocities that he had done and he was shifting and saying, I have to do something about it. And so we have this love and we've received love and Christ loves us abundantly where we can share it with communities that are hurting, but not in a like paternalistic way, but in a humble, loving way where Christ loves us abundantly, so let us love abundantly. See, the church should be this beacon, this beacon of light. This beacon that that the whole world could say they are doing it and they're doing it how it should be done because they are reconciling people. How? 
Just like verse 21, to him be the glory in the church. Like when we get so focused in savoring and seeing and loving God that, that we look and we can say, to him be all the glory, the culmination of the glory of God to Jesus for all generations forever and ever. It's the culmination that the glory, the praise, the honor, the majesty, the brightness, the, the supreme view of who God is, it helps us to realize that man was made in the image of God. So then when people are hurting, I can come over them and say, I want you to be whole as well. And I want to love and I want to care for and I want to make right as equals and as lovers of the perfection of the beauty of who the Messiah is. See, I think some of the first steps we have to acknowledge and do is realize that Christ deserves all the glory. He deserves all the doxa, the honor, the praise. He deserves to be counted as supreme and excellent. Our world needs it, and we need to have affections for God. So two things right here, one for the near to God and one for maybe the far from God. Just like Ephesians chapter 3 verse 19 says, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Do you know that love? Like, do you know the love of Christ that passes knowledge, the love that that reaches down in this earth even though you've broken all of God's laws and you've crushed them and you've done so many wrongs and, and you have guilt and shame and you feel condemned? Or maybe you're just going through this life very apathetic and you realize that this love, this affection, this this grace he has given to you because he came down on this earth. And he died for you, and he spilled his blood to cleanse you from all of your sins so you could know him and have a relationship with him. And it wasn't based on your performance. It's just based on surrender, saying, it's all yours. It's always been yours. Use my life. It's all yours. I'm giving it to you. And then for those that remember the time that they were near God, or maybe you're near him right now, do you remember the affections he has for you? Do you remember the affections he has for you and the affections you have for him? And is there the point? Do you right now desire him? Will you you ask him to give you, will you ask him to give you the longing and the yearning for the vast and endless being of who he is so you can get a glimpse of who he is, so you can see and savor an accurate view of God that leads you, that moves you towards a joyful obedience where you say, I will do anything for your kingdom, anything for your namesake, anything for your name and your fame so I can live an incredible life that brings you glory which is a life worthy of living let's pray Lord Jesus use this message I pray uh, for both groups of people God people that are near you that you would give them an even deeper glimpse of who you are and people that are far from you I pray that they would have a glimpse of you so they would give their whole life to you. And they would have a life that's worth living. 
to see you. God, just move among us. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have questions or would like to contact us for prayer, please email us at info at visitgracechurch.com. For more information about our ministries, location, and service times, go to visitgracechurch.com.